we're technically the apostles, the 12 apostles. We have trying to learn something about each one of their lives, and we come to understand that uh, this was a, an unusual group of people that God chose. And we've talked about, uh, we've talked about them in groups of four. Uh, there's three groups of four. Peter, James, John, and Andrew are the first group, and we've talked about them. We've talked about the idea that Peter teaches us the idea that it's okay to struggle, that God uses us as we struggle. Uh, we've talked about the idea of Andrew, who is always bringing people to Jesus and encourages us to do the same. Uh, we talked about James, who was a person of, of passion, who really had to learn to control that passion and, and sometimes anger. And then last week we talked about John, who very much passionate as well, focused on truth, but we add that element of love and that truth and love need to be combined. And this morning we're going to start on our second group of four, and the leader of that is a guy by the, no, by the name of Philip. Um, Philip is always listed as the fifth person in the writings, and any time the disciples are mentioned, he's always number five. So he kind of leads out the second group of four. Uh, Philip is unique from all of the other disciples in this. Philip, uh, his name means lover of horses. And it is a Gentile name. We do not know his Jewish name. But Philip actually uh, becomes, uh, we believe that Philip was a Hellenistic Jew. Now here's what that means. It's going to play into one of the stories we read here today. But uh, as a Hellenistic Jew, here's what that meant. He was brought up Jewish. But at some point in his life, he adopted the Greek lifestyle, the Greek culture, the Greek look. So Philip would have looked more Greek than any of the other disciples who would have looked and traditionally carried themselves as Jews. So that's going to play into, like I say, it's going to play into one of the stories that become uh, important. Philip was a fisherman. Uh, actually, seven of the 12 disciples are fishermen. Now, that doesn't seem like a big deal to us, but I, I want to stop for a second and just put it into perspective for you. Um, God has orchestrated history to this point in time where God leaves heaven and comes to earth. He has orchestrated all of history for that moment where Jesus is going to come to this earth and die on the cross. He has spent 30 years on this earth getting ready for his three years of ministry. <clears throat> and he has to pick 12 guys who are going to carry on the job when he leaves. Twelve guys. Now, why would you not pick the scholars of the day? Why would you not pick the Jewish leaders of the day? Why would you not pick some of the people who are priests and high priests? Why would you not go to Jerusalem to get your twelve guys? Why would you take twelve pretty much ordinary men, seven of whom are fishermen? They're not historians. They're not great big students of the law. They're not people who have embraced the Torah with their entire life. These are guys who every day get up and <clears throat> get on a boat and throw a net out and bring in a bunch of fish and sell them or clean them or gut them and then throw the nets back out and dry them all out and go through the same thing. Most of their day is spent probably <clears throat> sleeping because most of them fished at night. And you're going to take your, the entire thing. You've worked, you're God now for a second. You have worked all of history to this moment, 
and you're going to entrust it with these 12 guys? Why? Why would God do that? Why would God take God? Why would God take that kind of gamble? That these guys, you're going you're to put it all in the hands of these guys and then say, you know what? I think these guys can take this thing into all the world. Because one of the things that you understand about the disciples is this. God uses people who are in the journey of following him, not people who have it all together. And you're going to see this really truly in the life of Philip this morning. So we're going to look at four passages. Uh, Philip is unique because uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, anytime they mention Philip, he's always mentioned with the 12. They mention nothing unique about Philip. But John mentions Philip over and over again in a number of unique stories that are not in any of the other Gospels. And we talked about this last week with John, that a lot of what he writes is unique to John uh, because he was all about truth. He wanted to get in those nuggets of truth that the other Gospel writers didn't include. So John's Gospel is unique. And John here uh, tells us some things about Philip that the other Gospel accounts just gloss over, don't even address. Um, you should also know this, and just to help you out here, there are two main Philips mentioned in the Bible. There's Philip the Apostle, and then there's somebody, some people refer to him as Philip the Evangelist. He's in the book of Acts. Uh, do you remember the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch? Okay, that's a different Philip. Okay, this Philip basically only exists in the Bible during the time of Jesus. Uh, he's going to spend about 21 years in southern Russia, and we'll talk about his death in a minute uh, as we get to it. But four stories real quick, and then we're going to learn some things from it for us. So uh, here's the first one. Uh, John chapter 1. Uh, let's see if we're going to get it up here or if it's going to crash on me. Uh, John chapter 1. Are we ready? It crashed on me? Really? Wow. What a day. What a day, what a day, what a day. All right. Uh, I'm not going to go back there and try to reboot it. So here's what I'm going to I'm going to read it to you. If you've got your Bibles, um, those are those books that we used to carry to church all the time. Uh, and... We encourage you to have it. Now, if you have a phone, uh, let me give you a great, uh, uh, the great app. The Bible app is that, that uh, Bible app is awesome. Uh, you can carry all kinds of versions with you uh, and still have your Bible with you. So anyway, here we go. John chapter 1. Here's what it says. Uh, the following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip, and he said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethesda, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Uh, we're going to talk about Nathanael next week, by the way. Um, and Philip said to him, come and see. Now Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, and he said, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit or no vile. Um, now here's what's unique. When, when Jesus calls um, the early disciples, Peter, James, and John, Peter, James, they're following uh, John the Baptist. And Jesus comes. You remember this story. Jesus comes. John the Baptist is there. He said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. They leave John the Baptist to follow Jesus. Okay? That, that's what happens. The next day, John chapter 1 says this. Jesus goes out to find Philip. Now, here's what's unique. The other disciples, they sought out Jesus. Jesus seeks out Philip. 
He's one of the only disciples that we see is where actually Jesus comes looking for Philip and sees Philip and says, Philip, follow me. And what does Philip do? The first thing he does is he goes to Nathaniel and he says, hey, Nathaniel, look, we found him. We know who the Messiah is. And he's from Nazareth. And, blah, and, and Nathaniel goes, whoa, 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 whoa. Nazareth? I don't think so. There ain't nothing good coming out of Nazareth. Um, and notice what Philip's response is. We're going to talk about this later. What does he say? Come and see. Come and see. And so he goes and then meets Jesus. Uh, we'll talk about Nathaniel next week. But one of the things that you see with Philip is one of the first things that he does is he invites Nathaniel to come as well. Second passage is found in John chapter 6. Um, John chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. Here's what it says. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. A great multitude followed him because they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now Passover, the feast of the Jews, was near. And Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But he said this to test him, for he knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, for every one of them, that every one of them may have a little. Then one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a lad here that has five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? Here's what's interesting. Jesus now, and this is the feeding of the 5,000, which realistically is probably the feeding of the somewhere between 10 and 20,000, because it's only 5,000 men, the text says. So the feeding of 5,000 men, if most of them were married in that day, many of them would have been married. Now we're at 10,000. And if, if they had one child, we're at 15,000. And if they had more than that, we're at big numbers. And we know there's a little kid there with fish. So, you know, um, but here's the deal. The text says that Jesus comes to Philip. And he says, hey, Philip, how are we going to feed him? Kind of like me. I go to Cammie and say, Cammie, how are we going to feed him? And Cammie goes, oh, don't worry, i got plenty of food. You know, and she, she pulls it out of I don't know where. I mean, it just keeps showing up. Um, stuff that she wouldn't even plan on kept showing up. But, I mean, you know, it's kind of this thing where Cammie, for the whole building project, was kind of like our point person. And so we'd say, okay, talk to Cammie. And she'd get out her little list, and they'd organize all this stuff and all this kind of stuff. Well, Nathaniel, or Philip was that for Jesus. Philip was like the point person for the organizational kind of thing. He was the numbers guy. He's the guy that, that does all the math in his head. And so Jesus comes to him and said, how are we going to feed him? And he's doing the math in his head. Well, let's see. we got 200 denarii. If I, take, if I can buy each denarii, I can buy 12 uh, wheat loaves. Well, if we split that up, that's not going to be enough. Well, maybe we could go with the cheaper barley loaves. And we get 20 of those for a denarii. And that ain't going to work either. And he looks at Jesus and he goes, uh, it ain't going to work. We can't even get everybody just a little piece. Jesus was testing. And it was, it was Andrew who came, popped up and said, hey, look, I don't know about all that math stuff, but here's two loaves, or here's, here's two fish and five loaves. I don't think it'll take anything, but this is what we got. And we talked about him seeing the possibilities instead of the obstacles. One of the things that you learn about Philip, and you're going to see it again here in a minute in the story, in another story, is that Philip is, is the guy who... He is focused on all the little details. And we need those people. Please understand, if you're one of those detail people, we call you OCD people, um, awesome. I'm glad you exist. Okay? I really am. There's some things I'm really OCD about. Um, there's other things I really just 
Go look at my van. I don't care. Uh, but there's something. I, the greatest. Man, I wish you could, I wish you could throw this up there. Uh, great. It's one of the great things. Uh, an OCD nightmare. It was a picture of the Leaning Tower of Pisa trying to make it straight. Uh, and it was like an OCD nightmare. You, think about it. You'll get it. Uh, and that would drive an OCD person. But the idea is, you know, you're one of those people. You like to focus in all the details. And that was Philip. Philip was a guy who, man, he was focused on getting everything just right and the, the, the I's dotted and the T's crossed and everything else. And so Jesus comes and says, hey, how are we going to feed everybody? And Philip's going, can't do it. Not going to happen. And Jesus does something great um, in spite of it. Again, Philip's a guy who, let's put it together here, he's seen the miracles. He's watched Jesus turn water into wine. He's been here when Jesus has healed people and done the miraculous thing, but none of that calculated into his formulas. He just couldn't see it. Okay? Um, then two more stories. Uh, the next one is, uh, is uh, found in, uh, let me see here, John chapter 12. Here's what it says. Uh, now there were certain Greeks among them who came to worship at the feast. And they came to Philip, who was from Bethesda of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew, and in turn, Andrew and Philip told Jesus. Now, here's what's unique. Think about this for a minute. You're a disciple. You're a follower of Jesus Christ. Greeks, very specific, Greek people came to Philip. Why? Remember, he was a Hellenistic Jew. He looked Greek. He talked Greek. He acted like a Greek. They were comfortable with him. Jesus' message in the beginning was primarily to the Jews. To the Jews first and then the Gentiles. So, what happens is some Greek people come to Philip and they go, Hey, Philip, we want to go see Jesus. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus and somebody wants to, wants to see Jesus, what do you do as a follower of Jesus? This isn't brain surgery, folks. What do you do? You take them to see Jesus, right? I mean, that's not that hard, is it? What does Philip do? He takes them to Andrew. Why does he take them to Andrew? Why doesn't he just go himself? And here's the thinking. Philip was so focused on how things had to be done in a certain way. He's saying, well, you know, Jesus is primarily about the Jews. And it's all Jewish people that we're primarily dealing with. I'm not quite sure what we do with the Gentile guys. And maybe, I know, I'll go get Andrew and then we can both go together. See, he's so focused on getting everything right and the details of this order and all this kind of that he misses like the big, huge picture of just take them to Jesus. I mean, how hard is that? It's not that hard. Just take them to Jesus. But Philip is so caught up in this thing of getting it all right that he misses the big picture completely. You see that again in John chapter uh, 13, uh, uh, or 14. John chapter 14, you, you all know John chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. You know, um, where it talks about, um, Jesus says, I go and prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again, receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also, and you know the whole thing. And, and Thomas said, Lord, how can we know the way? And Jesus says, uh, you are the way, the truth, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. You know verses 1 through 6, but listen to verse 7. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you will know him, and you have seen me, and seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father. It's sufficient for us. 
And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you don't know me? Philip, he who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak, I don't speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me. Believe me that I am the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Now, here's why this is so, so important. Philip has followed Jesus for three years now. He has watched him do miracles. He's watched him do all of these incredible things. Jesus is now sitting down and, and telling them that he's going to go away. And, you know, Thomas goes, you know, well, hey, look, we're not sure where you're going. And he's like, you know, I'm the way, the truth, and life. You know that passage. But Philip is the one who asks the next question. Philip comes to him and says, okay, Jesus, look, all we need you to do, show us the Father, and we're in. Now, if you're Jesus, what are you thinking right now? For three years, you've taught this guy. For three years, you've done miracles in front of this guy. For three years, this guy has walked with you. For three years, this guy has been one of your 12. And at the end of that time, he looks at you and goes, hey, look, show us the Father and we're in. And Jesus is like, are you not getting it at this point? What, what, what more? He, so he says, so he explains this whole thing about I and the Father are one. And then finally Jesus, it's almost like a little bit of frustration. Jesus looks at him and goes, look, and if you don't get all that, just think about all of the stuff that you've seen me do. Because only the Father can do that stuff. So just follow me. History tells us that Philip, after the crucifixion, heads to southern Russia and spends about 21 years reaching people for Christ. Now, there are a couple of really cool, fun stories about his death and stuff like that. How much of it is made up, how much of it is truth, I don't know. We do know he died as a martyr. That's what we do know. Uh, probably one of the funnest stories or coolest stories is that uh, he went into an area, he was preaching at a pagan temple, and at the pagan temple there was a snake god, and he basically claimed Christ in front of the snake god. The snake slithered out from underneath the altar. As it slithered out, it let out this huge nasty smell, a whole bunch of people died. One of the people that died was the king's son. The king was so mad, he decided to have him crucified. And as they were crucifying him, they also stoned him. And as he was going away to be crucified, he kept praying, Father, forgive them. Um, here's what we know. He died of stoning. Okay? The other stuff I don't know about, but the bottom line is we do know that for 21 years he was in southern Russia reaching people for Christ, and he died a martyr's death. Um, so from the end of John chapter 14 to the time that he leaves to go and share the gospel of Christ, Jesus Christ becomes very real to him. Real enough that at the end of his life he's willing to die for it. Right? All right, all of that history. Now let's talk about a couple of takeaways. First one. When we, when we first meet Philip, here's one of the things we see. When he decides to follow Christ, the first place that he goes is to Nathaniel. And Nathaniel wants to argue with him about Christianity. He wants to argue with him about, is that really the Messiah? Can that really happen because he's from Nazareth? And what is Philip's response? Come and see. Come and see. 
See, I think we miss this as Christians. See, we are so intent on being right, and we are so intent on arguing our point, and we are so intent on letting people know what we believe and why we believe it, that we have, we have missed the boat here. I'm not saying you don't do some of that, but I'm saying we put all of our stock in doing that. And here's the thing. Philip doesn't do any of that. Philip goes, tells him he's found the Savior, and then says, come and check it out for yourself. Um, years ago, we had this happen, actually, was, and, I, and I think I remember who it was, but they were sitting somewhere, and a bunch of people were talking, and our church came up in conversation. And they were saying some pretty bizarre things about our church. And um, so this person, not, they didn't know that they were associated with us, um, and, and this person just simply piped into the conversation and said, have you ever been there? And he said, no, 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 no. Well, I have, and it's not that way. Now, what do you say now? You know? See, I think that's where I missed the boat. We want to get into all the discussions about all the points and reasons are wrong. Just come and see. Just check it out for yourself. You'll find out we don't sacrifice chickens unless it's potluck and somebody's cooked them. You know? Um, Come and see. Check it out. Listen, I think this is where we're missing it in Christianity. We have stopped inviting people to come and see it for themselves. And not just church. I'm talking about this in your home. See, we're trying to impact people from a distance. And you can't impact people from a distance. You've got to impact them up close. Some of you, that's where you're missing the boat because... You're thinking there's some big fancy formula to it. No, just invite them over to your house. Let them sit down at your table and see your family interact. Take them out to dinner and sit down at a table and get to know them. Let them see your Christianity up close and personal. Come, check it out for yourself. You'll find out I'm not as kooky as you think I am. I'm not as bizarre as you think I am. I'm actually, we've actually had people say this to us. I've actually had people say this, and this happened within the last year even. You're a pastor? You're normal. I'm like, well, what were you expecting? Like somebody with three heads? I mean, you know, come on. What what were you thinking? My wife, (laughs) oh, this is bad. Somebody came to my wife once and went, you're a pastor's wife? You're the first normal pastor's wife I've ever met. <laughs> um, it's crazy. Because, but honestly, because there's all kinds of crazy ideas out there. You know what we need to do? They just need to come and see. And we've got to get them to the point that they're cl- up close and personal so they can see. And I think we're missing out. We make it about the arguments. And some of you are so scared that if you witness to somebody, you're going to say something wrong or you're going to do something. Look, just get, them to, just get them to come and look. Get them to come over to your house. Get them to go out to eat with you. Go to a ball game. Go to a concert. Go to something together. Do something together. Let them see Christ in you. That's what Colossians talks about. Some of us, we have gotten so wrapped up in the world that all we have are Christian friends. That's a problem. If everybody's like you, then what's the outreach? What's the, what, where are you making a difference in other people's lives who don't have Christ? 
That's why I say, you know, you want to get involved, man, go get involved in your, and, and coach a little league team or get involved in those kinds of things. Let people see Christ up close and personal in our lives. Come and see. I think a second thing you see about this is Philip misses the opportunity. The text says that when at the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus came to Philip to test him because it was a test. It was, Philip, are you just going to see the problems? Or are you going to see the opportunities here? Philip, are you going to get so mired in the details that you miss the, the, the whole thing here? And he does. He misses it. He misses it completely. Why? Because he is so focused on, 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 on this little section. Okay, we feed people. The only way to feed people is with money. We don't have enough money. Since we don't have enough money, we can't feed people. He's so focused on that that he misses the idea that, you know what, there's 5,000 people here. Jesus can take care of their needs. 5,000 plus people here. And Jesus can take care of their needs. And Jesus is asking you, what should we do? And you know what you, Peter, you know what Philip should have done? He should have looked at him and went, I don't know. I'm just going to stand back and watch what you do because this is going to be awesome. Because the numbers don't work. You want to know one of the funnest things that I enjoy here more than anything else? Is I love to watch God work in stuff that would boggle and blow your mind. When we make a decision and we're sitting there looking at the numbers and going, it don't work. And then we watch God take care of this and this and do this and do that and do that and do that and do that. We have learned now that it's the issue of does God want us to do it and is this an opportunity God's putting in front of us for us to sit back and watch God work. Everything that's happening out there, honestly, it's, I mean, it's exhausting. It's exa- no, no, I'm not going to kid you. It's exhausting. I, I'm too old for this. You know, and I feel it. My wife will tell you, I mean, at the end of the day, I look like I'm 100 years old. Um, in fact, the new, the new mantra in my house is, okay, if there's anything you need me to do before I sit in that chair, you better ask now. Because when I get to that chair, the day is over. Um, and you know how I know the day is over? Because my little fitness tractor goes, <laughs> my fitness tractor, the one night my fitness tractor thought that I went to bed at 7.30. Because it said, you haven't moved in two and a half hours. Um, <laughs> You know, and it's going, you need to go move because you have not moved. You are asleep. And it's like, no, I'm not asleep, but you'd think I was asleep. Uh, but you know what? But we're able to sit back and watch God move and provide and take care. And in and, 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 and the craziest ways, in the craziest way, where somebody will go, hey, look, yeah, you know what? Um, by the way, if you need this, I've got one. I'm like, really? I, I, one of the big obstacles that we came across was a crane. How many people do you know have a crane? And that's going to be a really big expense. You know what? All of a sudden, we're finding out, we got somebody in church that's got two of them. And they're like, oh, yeah, we'll bring it over. A crane. Who owns cranes? But we have that here. It was awesome to watch God work. All kinds of crazy stuff like that. All kinds of neat, neat things like that. Why? Because rather than looking at the obstacle, we sat back and said, okay, God, this is an opportunity for you to work. You want us to step out a little bit. I'm not talking about being stupid with stuff. I'm not, but you want us to step out a little bit, Lord, and trust you, and, you, and, and you're going to do some things. And, Lord, we're going to get the privilege of sitting back here and watching you work. And, and that's where some of you are right now. All you can see is the problem in front of you. 
You, you can't see how God can use that opportunity in a great way. Because you're like Philip. You're so focused on, the, on, on, on all the little details and nuances of it and everything else that you're missing that, no, 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 this is an opportunity for God to do something really neat in your life. I want to encourage you that way because some of you are struggling because you're so focused on what that thing is that you're missing that God could do something much, much bigger. The last thing is this, and this is the most encouraging thing, at least to me. Philip walked with Jesus for three years. And at the end of three years, being closer to Jesus than you and I ever will be, he still didn't get it. He was still a work in progress. He was still trying to figure it all out and how it all fit together. In other words, at the end of three years, his entire statement to Jesus is, look, I can believe all this, just show me the Father. And I'm in. And Jesus is like, Philip, <laughs> you've seen the Father. You just didn't realize it. And Philip, if you don't think you've seen the Father, just think of all the things you've watched me do. How could that not be the Father at work? Follow me, Philip. Trust me here. And Philip does. But the thing is, the last thing that we see in Philip is this issue of he still hasn't put it all together. And that is so encouraging to me. And it should be encouraging to you because I deal with so many people. That here's, what, here's, here's their idea. Their idea is God can use me when I get all the boxes checked off. You know, when, when I'm having my devotions every day and when I'm reading my Bible every day and when I'm praying every day and when I'm going to church every week and when I'm doing this and, 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 doing, and doing this and when I'm, when I'm taking care of my neighbor and when I'm helping uh, my, my coworkers and when I, then God's going to use me. You're missing it. You're missing it. You are focused so much on the destination, being Christian growth or Christian maturity, that you don't realize it's not a destination. Christian growth is not a destination. Christian growth is a journey. And you're going to continue to grow, and you're going to continue to go, and you're going to continue to have those little things. It's going to be a struggle, and it's going to be hard at times, and it's going to be easy at other times, it's going to be exciting at other times, and it's going to be tough at other times. It's the whole gamut of it. And Philip is a great lesson to that, because here's a guy who Jesus tests, and he fails, and then he comes to the end of his life, and Jesus is about ready to go away, and he looks at the disciples, and he says, this is what's going to happen, and Philip goes, okay, just show us, show us the Father, and we're all in. And Jesus goes, Philip, you're going to get it here, buddy. You just haven't quite put it all together yet. But you're a work in progress. Because, by the way, think about it for a minute from Jesus' point of view. You've spent three years. The cross is now within a week or two weeks away. And one of your closest follower guys, number five in the list of the 12, is going, just let me see God and I'm in. But Jesus has confidence that these guys will get it. In fact, he has more confidence in them than they have in themselves. And let me tell you what's true. Jesus has more confidence in you than you do in yourself as well. And some of you are so afraid because you think that you've got to do one, two, three, four, five, and then God can use you. And what I'm here to tell you this morning is the Christian journey is about a work in progress that God wants to use you now as you are where you are. And that will be one of the ways that you will grow. That's what you see in the life of Philip. 
And so many times we get so enamored with this thing that we, that, that we miss it. Here's my illustration. My granddaughter, Claire, I don't know how old she is now. She's like a year and 13 months. How about if I came in here this morning and say, you know what? Claire's going to be a good kid when she grows up and learns to take care of herself. And I come in here today, and I'm here to tell you right now, Claire's not a good kid. <laughs> you got to feed her. You got to change her. You got to help her in the car seat. You got to do all these things for Claire. Claire's not a good kid. You look at me and go, no, 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 you're a bad grandpa is what you are. I mean, you're, you know, you're going to look at a baby at 13 months and go, they're not a good kid. Why? Why? Because you know what? We understand that all of that is part of the process. All of that is part of growing up. All of that is part of growing up to be a good kid. Because the reality of it is that I, I was under the mistake that once they reached 18, it was pretty much downhill from then. They were easy. They On their own. What I've learned is that you're always a parent, and you're always worried about them, and you're always praying for them, you're always concerned about them. And parenting doesn't end when they move out of the house. That's what I've learned. And them growing up doesn't end at that point either. They continue to grow up and mature and, and, and do all of those things. See, the bottom line is Claire is a work in progress. And she will be until the day she dies. You ready for this? We are too. And some of you, what you have done is you have set maturity as the goal for then God can use you, or then you're a good Christian, or then you're a good this or that, or whatever it is that you have in your head. And you need to understand, you would never do that to a child. Why are you willing to do it with your Christian life? Why are you willing to go down a road that even Jesus doesn't go down with his 12 followers? And he looks at these guys, and even a Philip, who Jesus looks at and goes, look, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I, 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 I've been with you for three years. You should have gotten this by now. But nothing else, just think about all the stuff you've seen. Think about all the works that you've seen me do. How could that be done not with, if I'm not the Father? Because only the Father could do some of the stuff you've seen. Again, this is a guy who would have been there when Lazarus, or about this time. No, it wouldn't happen yet. Um, it would have. I don't know, i got to look that one up. Um, but he's seen Jairus' daughter. He's seen, he's seen other people come to life. Only God can do that. And he's going, show me the Father. And Jesus goes, no, 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 you don't get it, buddy. You've already seen the Father. Seen me, you've seen the Father. We're one. And I just want to encourage you, because some of you, I think, are stuck and, and waiting for God to use you until you get all the boxes checked. Nothing could be further from Christian growth. Let God use you this week, as you are where you are. Because that's what he wants. You go, yeah, but you know, you know, I just got so many doubts and so many struggles. Really? Well, you're going to find when we get to Thomas, you are going to feel so good. <laughs> you know, you know, you know. I mean, think about it. Do you want a nickname from? You want a nickname of the guy who doubts for the rest of your life? You know, I mean, he's the ultimate pessimist. He really is. Um, but come on, I want to encourage you because I think some of you are just struggling here. And, and, and it's the idea of, you know what, 
Don't miss the big picture. God is at work around you. He wants to use you. As you are where you are right now, let him do that. And you'll be amazed at how much you grow and how much he uses you. Just like these guys were. They turned the world upside down. Twelve guys. Actually, eleven. Well, twelve if you want to count Matthias, and we do. But um, twelve guys turned the world upside down for Jesus Christ. So I end it this way. Philip's life teaches us it's okay to struggle. The Christian life is a process, a journey. It's not a destination. In that journey, we have to be careful about missing the big picture and not seeing the opportunities that God puts in front of us. As you follow Christ this week, realize this is a step-by-step, day-by-day, moment-by-moment journey. And invite others to come and see your life, warts and all, and you'll be amazed at how God uses that. Let's pray. Lord, help us. God, it's so easy sometimes to get so 